Hello and welcome back to Multimodal. I'm your host, Backstage Future. Today, we have a very, very special edition of the podcast. I am going to be skipping over my usual intro. You know that whole spiel where I talk about GPT-3 or something and I say, this is not a podcast about today, this is a podcast about tomorrow. We're going to be skipping all over all of that. Because you see here today, exclusively on the podcast, I'm going to be releasing, we're going to be going through part two of my series, GPT-X, Diffusion, and our multimodal future. In this episode, we will go through the entire thing. Um, I have crystallized the entire series into a single book, which you can find in the YouTube description. Uh, and of course, if you're only listening to the podcast, I recommend hop over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash future. I recommend you listen along on there so you can follow along and see the visuals in the book that I've created to help, you know, uh, crystallize it better, whatever I'm talking about. Uh, you, you, of course, you can find the link to this book in the YouTube description and I'm releasing it. Anyone can uh, download a copy and, uh, uh, and, and go through it privately on their own. Uh, but anyways, so, uh, if you haven't seen part one, I recommend also going to my YouTube channel. You can click the playlist tab and check out GPTX Dolly in our multimodal future. Um, that was part one of the series and it was basically about, you know, the broader ideas of both language models, uh, multimodal models like Dolly, as well as human creativity. What does the intersection of all of these things mean? Uh, in part two of the series, GPTX Diffusion in our multimodal future, we're going to be focused on the multimodal photo editor. So this is basically, you know, like a future kind of multimodal AI image program, image to text program, basically something like a future version of Photoshop. Uh, the timeline for this series is anywhere from next year till four years from now. However, I think four years is a pretty, pretty conservative uh, estimate. I, I think it'll it'll all of this stuff that I'm outlining here will will be possible. Maybe even as early as next year. I'd be surprised if it wasn't uh, by two years from now. But uh, anyways, yeah. So th this series will be focused on a future version of, of perhaps something like Dolly or Mid Journey. Uh, you know what what is it going to be capable of? What are what are some of the things and features and capabilities that that you'll have that you didn't have before? What's going to be possible? Uh, this series mainly takes a top-down approach. Like I'm, I'm more looking at it from a customer need perspective, and then talking about based on these customer needs. Here's, here's what I'd love to see. A lot of this is, is what I would want, and you know, I think I have a good idea of what I'm looking for in, in a future version of some kind of multimodal tool like Midjourney. Um, and you know, based on my needs, hopefully, hopefully, this applies to all of you as well. That these are things that you could see yourself using and, and benefit from. Uh, throughout this video, I may casually use the word Dolly, but Dolly is sort of like a placeholder for really any, uh, whether it's future multimodal image editing tools, even Midjourney now. It's just a shorthand, but keep in mind, like, um, you know, I have no affiliation with OpenAI. I don't speak for them. I don't represent them. I don't know what their product roadmap, roadmap or plan is. I'm just using Dolly as a placeholder for now, just a shorthand. So it's just, it's a lot easier to say that than to say like a multimodal AI image editing tool, <laughs> right? So, uh, and at, at times I may say mid journey as well, just to mix it up. Uh, but again, no affiliation with any of these companies. And this is the series maybe if anything is sort of, uh, even showing them where, where, you know, a, a potential future, what it could look like of, of their tool. Uh, and so anyways, uh, we've gone through that. I mentioned the, the book is in the YouTube description. Was there anything else? Um, yeah, you could argue this series and this book is, is more of a concept product. 
Uh, you know, I, there is a lot of like, you, you do kind of need to let go of how you currently look at the world, currently look at the research, currently look at the products and their capabilities. Um, you know, I can see that. Uh, but, you know, I did try my best uh, when creating this book to sort of ground it in today's research and sort of ground it in, you know, the directions we're already heading. And so hopefully these these things will be possible. But part of it, just like I mentioned in the last series, you'll need to keep an open mind. Um, and so anyways, with that, I, I think, I think it's time. I think it's time we got started. That, that's about everything I, I wanted to cover. Uh, just some light housekeeping. Uh, so GPT X diffusion and our multimodal future part two, the multimodal photo editor. I basically wrote this, uh, August 1st, 2022, most of it. And then I literally just updated it today with two or three smaller ideas. Uh, we can skip the table of contents. <laughs> you can see it's pretty exhaustive. I think it's 40. 40 pages worth of what uh, what a future version of Dolly could look like, what it could do and be capable of. Um, so to get started, like, I, I guess, like, you know, I, I should I should frame a lot of this uh, by, you know, sort of very clearly setting the the background here of, of the model. Right. So first, we'll just zero in on capabilities I expect from the model and then. Afterwards, going forward, we'll go through the actual tool, what it could be like, what it could do, all that stuff. Um, so from the multimodal engine or the model, I guess my first sort of high level benefit criteria, uh, ideally, it should be real time and always on. So what that means is when I generate something and or once it's generated, I like edit it in any way with a prompt or something, all that stuff happens in real time. And real time is, you know, in quotes, like it could be anywhere from, I don't know, seven milliseconds to 100 milliseconds. Perceptually, the latency should be low and whatever I ask for should instantly happen. <laughs> and by the way, like I'm aware, like, you know, that might not be possible, very challenging, it'd be costly, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is just, you know, this is part two of the series. We have fun here. You know, we're, we're throwing out possibilities and certainly speed would be good for everybody all around. Uh, like at least user benefit wise, uh, users instantly see images generated or refreshed once the prompt is submitted. The next thing, and I'm going to be coming back to this a lot, uh, throughout this video, but it's, it's, it's basically like multimodal understanding. So the model should have a high level of natural language understanding and can also understand the contents of its own image generations at a superhuman level. Uh, the model understands the vibe of every media from every modality and can import the essence of every work and or initialized variations of it. So this is a mouthful, but what I mean is, you know, when I type a prompt in, it should make that prompt exactly. Like it shouldn't ignore elements and it should almost understand my prompt at a deeper level and be able to interpret it and understand the vibe or the angle or all that stuff. Uh, and, and in, you know, one shot, basically it should make that, uh, multimodal understanding also has to do with like this idea that it, you know, maybe the model can't be fooled necessarily over time with, you know, different edits and stuff. It should just really understand text well and generate, understand the image as well, like at a real, you know, fundamental level. Uh, the third criteria creating with constraints. So for example, if I set configurations, if I put things in the prompt, if I have more configurations and requirements, maybe I want specific colors in the image, the model should honor it. 
and only generate things within those constraints. It should not ignore any one of those constraints. Right now, if you use something like Dolly or Midjourney, a lot of prompt design, you know, you're putting in text that you know the model's gonna ignore. Uh, and so my expectation is by next year or latest four years from now, the model should not ignore anything in the prompt or if there's other configurations and stuff, different tools, it shouldn't ignore those configure configurations either. Uh, personalization, the model constantly monitors each artist's prompts, usage, tastes, personal data, and general activity to help them create art relative, relevant to them and their life story. Uh, we're gonna talk about this in more detail, but imagine the engine is constantly learning about you and generating art that it thinks you like, that is unique to you at a much deeper level than existing models today. Uh, this is an interesting idea. So uh, knowledge graph recommendations. So the model works like a partner making intelligent recommendations, suggesting artificially helpful directions, sorry, suggesting artistically helpful directions and drawing relations and connections like a knowledge network but with large language model generalizability. So what do I mean by knowledge graph recommendations? I mean, like, you know how you go to Google and you'll type in Da Vinci and it has like all this relevant information about him and images of him and, you know, like on the side. Like I want something uh, similar for, for future kinds of tools. Like I want them to give recommendations with the confidence, precision, and, you know, cr information crispness like a knowledge graph where it's like very organized, cohesive, uh, and whatever they make should be like, you know, a pretty, pretty artistically thoughtful suggestion that you would have never thought of, but that really adds to it. Uh, and so even though under the hood, it's like a large language model, I think it'd be cool if it, you know, perceptually acted more like a knowledge graph and had that level of, of confidence and organization. Uh, cultural history, training data support. Uh, this is like something I'd love to see is, you know, models that you know, travel around the world and meet with different villages to sort of, uh, you know, curate the artwork and ensure the data set covers a wide variety of, of different fates, cultures uh, uh, from all over the world. Uh, and the model is updated frequently with the latest events in popular culture and developments in the art and design world. Uh, everybody, I think it'd be really, you know, everyone would benefit from, you know, an engine that's really up to date with the latest developments in pop culture, uh, you know, art and design, architecture, all those different things. Physics. The model is fine-tuned on accurate physics examples with simulations, lighting, shadows, caustics, gravity, and more. This is a lot to ask, but, um, you know, I, I think one of the exciting things about multimodal AI image, image generation is that, you know, hopefully the model can just sort of uh, understand physics. And that way we don't need to run uh, 3D programs that, you know, theoretically compute it and simulate it the model can just create that in the same amount of time that a, that a you know a physics-based 3D engine might take days or months or years to render. Uh, alignment and safety. The model has a high level of multimodal understanding. It cannot be fooled with misspellings and can also immediately detect policy violations over multi-step image generations and the editing process. Uh, it has a high level of personalized alignment as well with the prompt and unique desired outputs of every user. So it's also aligned to you your values, your preferences, your tastes. Uh, all right, let's keep going. So uh, it's kind of interesting. Like, I think this section is sort of like, uh, sort of a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> and then the next section is a little, it's like maybe underwhelming, like it's probably something you would expect. And then things just honestly get crazier from there. <laughs> so anyways, we're coming in hot. So the first section is creating a new image. So 
When initializing a new image, there is no targeted document size or file format. The user just creates a new image and goes from there. The user focuses on the concept and the program will allow them to formalize it later by giving them different completed options with various sizes and formats. So what do I mean by that? Uh, basically what I'm saying here is in the future, like I don't think when you create a new image, you should need to specify a document size and like all that different stuff like you would in Photoshop. Um, you should you know, create a new image and from there, uh, just focus on the concept, right? Get the vibe right, get the elements right, get the composition right, get all these things right. And then later when it's time to maybe productize it or formalize it in a design or something like that, the program could then help you figure out appropriate formats as well as you know document sizes that make sense. So say you just had a concept, it should be able to generate a responsive website, uh, you know, a responsive uh, banner. It should be able to suggest that as a movie poster with various sizes and just take that the concept and sort of you know articulate it, translate it, portray it under all these different mediums. You should be able to take your concept and turn it into a billboard if you want it. Uh, and so the program should just like focus on helping you get to the essence of what you're trying to do, what you're trying to tell, what you're trying to make, and then be able to interpret that in all of these different sizes and formats. Already, we're pretty, pretty crazy idea to just skip document sizes. But I think usability wise and sort of, again, back to customer needs and stuff, um, I think it, it, it would make for a much more seamless experience uh, and give people more overall control and then later on when it's time to explore the billboard angle and stuff like that like you know it uh, you'll have the ability to you know fine-tune that or like you know specify it in the different formats later in a better way uh, and you'll have control over that that stage of the process too uh, you can initialize an image with any variations sorry you can initialize an image with variations of any text image song video or more uh, at initialization, you can import subtle details or properties from other existing works like a design system, vibe, artistic style, or world building elements to configure your own work automatically. So these are two different things. So the first point I'm saying is you could give a song and generate an image based on that song. You could drag in a movie and generate uh, an image based on that movie. Um, and then I'm also saying if you don't want to necessarily import an entire song or movie or another image and generate from there when creating a new document, you should be able to just sort of copy over the characteristics or properties or style or whatever of that song, of that video and drag in those, you know, different uh, properties and characteristics into your document and initialize from there. So there is some distinction there. So, uh, uh, users can generate an image broadly based on an outline created by painting in ink blots. Ink blots, yeah, this idea has been around for a while. There's existing multimodal tools that do it. I've seen some stable diffusion stuff that you know does that. I think this is also just a, a really interesting way to initialize a document. Um, I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning of the series, but uh, I just want to say uh, this program is only focused on generating images. Uh, there is different multimodal elements like video and music as well. Uh, but this series is only focused on generating that image, that side of it. Um, and then, you know, future versions of the series, part three and part four, will be focused on music and video. I have tons of ideas on how that could work and talk to this stuff. But, uh, you know, it might be a little bit, little bit, just a tad bit too early. So hopefully next year, 
I'll be able to to expand on my ideas for music and video as well. I'm also waiting to see what the models will be like uh, before I, you know, formally, uh, you know, put my ideas out there. So anyways, let's keep it moving. So uh, this stuff is, I think, stuff you'd, you'd probably ex expect. So prompt formatting, the idea here is as you're typing in a prompt, it automatically gets color coded. So in this case, we have a photo of a red stapler designed by Frank Gehry inside of a startup office. You can see when I typed in red, the font became the color red. I typed in stapler, you know, the engine knows stapler is an object, so it just made it blue. We referenced Frank Gehry, it turned green because it, it recognizes that's an artistic, you know, design reference. And then we put startup office and it italicized that because it knows it's a location. Uh, you can see here a little microphone button. I guess, you know, you could talk to it and, you know, uh, enter your prompt via voice as well. Um, and so, you know, here's where we're starting to ramp up in the series. Things are starting to get, you know, a little bit more interesting. So, uh, as you're typing in your prompt, uh, it's sort of auto-completes and makes suggestions to you. So, you know, we left off at the startup office. Now it's, it's sort of suggesting with a ping pong table. That looks, and then another suggestion is, that looks like Shopify's headquarters. And then you have, with B2B sales rep in the background, sales reps in the background, with tired programmers behind. And so you can see here the model is like, you know, it's like going back to multimodal understanding. It has some idea of the existing scene. It has some idea like, what are we trying to say here? What, what's the angle? What's the vibe? What's the artistic goal? And it's making these very intelligent recommendations uh, that makes sense for the scene that we necessarily wouldn't have thought of. Uh, this goes back to multimodal understanding, right? That it, it sort of ha has an understanding already of where this scene could go and autocompletes and makes recommendations from there. Um, uh, helpful knowledge graph suggestions to improve the prompt and art itself. So uh, once we've completed the prompt or st stopped typing, uh, you know, it's got a little, little thought bubble here underneath stapler. Um, and it's basically saying, you know, suggestion, uh, put startup logo stickers on the stapler. So that's like a nice visual artistic touch, artistic detail to the whole thing. Um, hopefully you guys can read that better. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's something we, we necessarily wouldn't have thought of, but the model again, understands the scene. So as we're typing, as well as once we've stopped typing, it has suggestions and this suggestion is a little bit longer, but I think it would be a nice touch. Uh, the model suggests clever details based on its multimodal understanding of the scene, creative direction, and themes or goals of the piece itself. Uh, helpful knowledge graph suggestions based on detailed knowledge of art history and artists' portfolios. So here's where things get interesting. So it knows we entered Frank Gehry, so it's already made a suggestion underneath. Maybe the red stapler could be based on the design of Frank Gehry's Walt Disney Concert Hall uh, back in 2003. And so... Over here, based on the existing prompt and knowing that we mentioned Frank Gehry, it's actually referencing a specific work by Frank Gehry that it thinks makes sense for this prompt. Uh, the model suggests nuanced details based on its multimodal understanding of artists and art history. And again, this would be, I think, a nice touch to the scene, you know? Uh, uh, once the prompt is complete, the model suggests inspiration and other ideas based on current trends and developments in pop culture. You can see underneath startup office, it suggested, you know, click to see examples of trendy startup offices. Um, this is one area where I think, you know, multimodal models could really help us is, you know, uh, cu uh, curating and compiling 
inspiration, the latest developments in music, architecture, design, uh, graphic design, interior design, all that stuff. You know, what's what's the latest trend now? And, you know, with one bubble, you can click on it and it's got different references, different inspiration that it thinks could help you uh, to create this scene. Uh, so now we have the, another section called built-in prompt unbundling. Um, if you haven't checked out my uh, unbundling article on Substack, I, I do recommend you check it out. Uh, this is a real term that I put out in the community uh, that people are actually using in real life. And unbundling is basically this idea of rather than just referencing Van Gogh, you sort of reference all the characteristics or properties or artistic style or emotions that make up what we call Van Gogh. It's sort of about exploding these uh, properties and characteristics out of a label, right? And using those, uh, you know, properties in your prompt to add additional detail and definition and, and stuff like that, that sort of attack the style you want better than just using the label. <clears throat> uh, and so in this case, we've got Frank Gehry and you know, it's, it's, you know, offering various un unbundling suggestions based on Frank Gehry. So, you know, do you want his deconstructivist style? Do you want unconventional materials? Uh, are you looking for irregular shapes that cannot be easily classified? Uh, and then also with startup office, it's got various unbundling details. So we would be able to click on any of these details and it would be inserted into the prompt. And again, it's helping us think of text, think of characteristics, think of properties, um, or maybe pick things that we actually want. So when we're talking about Frank Gehry, maybe we only want irregular shapes, right? And so maybe that's better than just saying Frank Gehry broadly. And again, going back to it, this is based on the knowledge network and multimodal understanding that this model has, that it can not only understand the essence of what we mean when we say Frank Gehry, but be able to articulate it into unbundled characteristics, which we can then use in our prompt. Uh, so configuring recombinance. So uh, this is a, another case where I gotta I gotta defer you to my Substack article. Uh, it's called uh, recombinant art and design or something like that. Uh, recombinant is another word that I'm throwing out in our space. Uh, it basically refers to this idea of uh, you know I've been trying to just sort of label the kind of art that a lot of AI artists are making. What makes it unique? What makes it different? <laughs> And in my view, with with tools like Dolly and Midjourney, I, I think AI artists they basically paint with the essence of different things. They paint with the essence of Frank Gehry, uh, the you know the essence of Starry Night by Van Gogh, and you know create new things essentially by combining one or more things uh, in their prompts. And so, I mean, I encourage you. The article does a better job explaining it. I'm not doing a good job explaining it right now. It's all there. <laughs> I encourage you to check it out. But obviously, in, in a future tool, like I, I would like to see more fine-grained, nuanced controls that allow us to configure the different recombinants we may use. So in this case, we have configure overall recombinant influence. So say we had, so you, you, you remember, we already had Frank Gehry in that prompt. Say we also had the Beatles. Uh, what this uh, window allows us to do is specify we want 60% Frank Gehry in this image and 40% the Beatles. Uh, so we have a weighting here that uh, you know we can use to sort of, we can configure this and adjust our prompt. Now for all the different AI artists that have been OG, you know, you've been using all the different Google Colab notebooks, uh, this feature is, is nothing new to have weightings on different things, different parts of your prompt. 
but I, you know, I, I assure you it's going to get crazier from here. <laughs> so bear with me. Um, so not only can we choose the, the weightings of, of the different recombinant influences we have in our image, there's different blending modes. So the normal mode is, you know, only it's only the percentage based prompt image completion. But then you have this other thing called melting pot mode. And so this is when two or more recombinants are mixed into something new, right? So sort of like, you know, Manhattan, New York City, they have this philosophy of being a melting pot. So all these different cultures mix in one place and you end up with something new. I would love for a multimodal model to help me see uh, in a very, I'd love to, you know, tell a multimodal model very explicitly to combine Frank Gehry and the Beatles into something new and to just even see what it comes up with. What would that collab look like? <laughs> what would that, what would the visuals look like? Uh, and so melting pot allows us to sort of combine those two ideas into something new. Mosaic is two or more recombinants are mixed together with respect to individual differences. So this is another blending mode. And then the collage mode is two or more elements can be combined into something new overall with respect to individual differences. There's probably way more blending modes that are possible, but these are some of the ones that I can foresee. Uh, so, you know, over here, you saw Frank Gehry and the Beatles was a link. So when we click Frank Gehry, uh, we have control over the Frank Gehry recombinant, right? So again, these are unbundled characteristics that make up Frank Gehry and so we should be able to, you know, with a percentage, you know, and more control, like specify how much of Frank Gehry's different characteristics do we actually want. So you may want 40% deconstructivist style like Frank Gehry, but 10% of that chaos and that difficulty when it comes to understanding it, but maybe it's unique and innovative, right? You may want 30% unique shapes and curves. And so being able to specify the model should be able to identify the unique characteristics and list them in these unbundled ways and also give us fine-grained control over when we're referencing this recombinant what what specifically are we talking about here right what 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 about it and what what's the breakdown there and then of course all these different windows there's like a final output preview so as you make these adjustments in real time you can see below like what what it's going to look like instantly uh i'm not gonna spend a lot of time this is like layer mode <laughs> so like you could layer recombinants and see what they would look like, maybe change the order and stuff. I'm, I'm honestly more excited about node-based mode. So this would this is about sort of specifying the flow of a recombinant and how it influences your piece. So you may want 80% of whatever Frank Gehry means, whatever that means and whatever you've configured it to mean. And once that's generated, 80% of Frank Gehry, it then gives that to the next uh, step in the process, right? The next part of the flow. You want 30% just the colors of the Beatles. So in this case, I had the Beatles. Then I put this prompt in front of it, just the colors of. <laughs> and the model should understand what I mean when I say just the colors of the Beatles. Um, and then underneath, uh, you know, you have a third step where it's, you know, some procedural routine maybe you have saved. Uh, and then some kaleidoscope effect. This kaleidoscope part is, is also a prompt, right? And so you got some mix here of different nodes, some are prompts, some are just recombinants. And essentially each step of the way, you can see the influence that the next stage, the, the previous stage is having on the next stage. Um, and so the, the node base is all about just the flow of the recombinants and the order in which they are applied to the working image. Um, and I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited about node base because, you know, I think, 
I think the this will allow you to make stuff that people will be like, wow, like I I can't quite cu- quite put my finger on it. It has these unique qualities I can't quite recognize. It feels familiar, but also it's new. I think Nodebase allows you to just add more textures, more interesting outputs. You can sort of, especially with procedural stuff, like you can end up with something entirely new and like really just explore. You could probably spend so much time in this window. Uh, anyways, we got to keep going. Um, so yeah, this is a part of the multimodal photo editor that I call the recombinant import bench. So you see this bench whenever you're initializing or trying to import something. Maybe you drag the file into the program or even when you paste something, even text into the working document. And so what the, rec- what the recombinant import bench allows us to do is import these various modalities, text, image, audio, video. This one over here, like you can even uh, play the piano or sing to it, <laughs> right? And then once that's you know been imported the, into the program, you can maybe apply an optional prompt filter. And then most importantly here, uh, you can specify the import accuracy. So uh, in some cases you want a variation. In some cases you want a heavy variation based on an image. However, in some cases you may even want an exact copy, right? So obviously there's copyright has risks here, uh, breaking copyright. However, I just think in some cases, like if I copied the word menu and I'm trying to put that text into my document, I don't want a variation of the word menu, right? I want to be able to specify the word menu and have exactly that. And so the recombinant import bench gives us a way to sort of import all these different modalities, different, you know, pieces and stuff and sort of just specify uh, how unique do we want it to be? Do we want it to be a variation very much different or pretty much an exact copy? Uh, and then you can also specify the overall influence that will have on your image. Um, and yeah, that, that's the recombinant import bench. So now we're going to be hopping over to image editing capabilities. Let me take a sip of water. Now, <clears throat> for background, um, I ran like a small survey earlier this summer. Uh, I, I encourage you to check out that Substack article. And I basically explored, you know, what AI prompt based image editing looks like. So say you want to just use natural language to edit an image. What are the capabilities, you know, people expect? What are, what, you know, what are the kinds of things they want to just be able to say? And that survey was like super interesting. I, you know, summarized all my findings in that article. And then I even linked to the uh, quantitative data as well as the actual responses I got in the survey from everyone. So anyways, I'm going to put that link uh, in the description below. I encourage you to check it out. This That'll give you more background when you try to understand what's going on in part two of the series when it comes to image editing. So by the way, this is the image that the model generated for us, right? This is a photo of a red stapler designed by Frank Gehry inside of a startup office. That's the prompt we went with, right? And so what this image is showing here is, so say we, we like the image, however, we don't quite like this stapler, right? Maybe it doesn't look as good. We don't like the shape. It doesn't look like Frank Gehry. I don't know. So when you hover over the image, uh, ideally it should recognize this object and then show this refresh icon. So when we click refresh, it will simply change that stapler and give us a new one, update the shadows and everything else in the image, but keep everything else the same. And the model should be smart enough to sort of automatically identify the stapler and allow us to refresh on it. And instantly we should, we should see the changes. 
uh, yeah, so this is, sorry, this is just showing like, maybe overall you can refresh the object. However, when it's time to edit, you click edit, you go into edit mode. Uh, yeah, now here's where things get serious, right? So maybe I want the, the stapler to be bigger. So I should be able to enter into a, into a future version of Dolly and Midjourney when it comes to editing an image, increase the scale of this stapler by 2.5x. So it should be able to interpret in natural language. What does that mean? And instantly show me this stapler at 2.5x bigger in size. And I should be able to measure that and it should be accurate. <laughs> and I'm just showing like the model should understand a lot of design and art language. It should understand the theory and understand when I ask for these changes to be made, uh, what I want and be able to generate it instantly at a professional level. So the user can enter instructions using the appropriate design language and art theory terminology and changes are instantly made. Uh, all this is showing here is because the engine will be uh, real time, essentially maybe it'd be a cool idea if the canvas glows yellow or blue or something around it. Um, just so that the user can see that the image has changed, that it was updated. So this would be like a quick animation where it would glow yellow or blue. And then you could your visually, you know, it's been updated instantly and you can go from there. Uh, uh, here's another interesting thing. So make the color of the stapler, uh, the hexadecimal number, uh, number, uh, F F F F zero zero, which is basically like yellow. Uh, and the model should be able to make this stapler that color. Uh, now, by my understanding, no multimodal image editor today uh, understands hex colors like at a specific level. But I, I think it's really important and essential that designers and artists be able to specify and communicate specific colors when it comes to editing and uh, working with images at a professional level. Uh, and of course there's a lot of interesting questions. Like I'm aware, like this must be like a really interesting research area. Now in this image, the stapler is yellow. However, like color is different in 3d, right? Uh, this may not be an accurate representation of this hexadecimal color on like a photorealistic stapler. <laughs> uh, but you know, this is where, you know, I'm sort of pushing on research more that, uh, we should have specific control and be able to communicate with hexadecimal numbers and, you know, have the model figure that out, like what a stapler of this specific hex color should look like. And by the way, I would appreciate color accuracy here, right? If I give a specific hex, hex color, uh, the model should generate with that specific hex color and be color accurate as well. Uh, now, so again, like I encourage you to check out that Substack article because uh, in the article, like I observed, people are looking for what, what I call advanced kinds of changes. So uh, people just want to be able to give kind of very vague, imaginative suggestions uh, with natural language text and have the model instantly uh, figure out what that means, maybe brainstorm somehow and render it. So in this case, the instruction is make the stapler more startupy. No idea what that means. <laughs> Right. Like, what does a startup mean? Uh, but, you know, the multimodal engine instantly understood startup, maybe it brainstormed, whatever. And it, you know, I tried to make this sticker uh, with the Google logo on it, on top of the stapler, trying to make it look more startup. And so the model should be able to interpret and understand and implement more abstract, thematically oriented or emotionally targeted edit prompts. Uh, people want to be able to use vague language. 
um, to to sort of get to the emotional goals or thematic goals they may have for this scene, uh, for any scene. And so that's why, you know, uh, this is, I think, one of one of the things that I'd love to see in a future version of Dolly, Midjourney, whatever, uh, when it comes to editing images via text. Uh, so adjust the opacity of the stapler. And then what's unique about this, so this is, again, using design language, art theory, whatever, but we also have a slider here. And so what this image is basically showing, uh, I'd love more ways to interact with the model besides just text-based prompts. Some kind of UI control, like a slider, uh, gives the user more control. Uh, it's, it's obviously more usable. And in this way, we can drag it and sort of uh, specify the opacity of the stapler that we actually want. And, uh, you know, maybe there's other kinds of fine-grained UI controls. Maybe, you know, you have a maybe a drop-down menu, different options. Um, now, this involves, obviously... Uh, changes to the architecture of the model probably or something like that um, to support different UI controls or whatever. Uh, but uh, I, I think, you know, I, I'd be surprised if a prompt is the only way <laughs> that we could influence an image in the future. Uh, so in this case, all this is showing is like, hopefully when I select this object, I have various controls here. I can maybe rotate the stapler. I can move it in 3D space and the lighting and shadows and everything will instantly update. Or I can refresh and get a whole new stapler altogether. And the, the engine immediately renders whatever that would look like. Uh, I should be able to adjust the lighting in the scene as well as the camera angle and different characteristics and features like that. Uh, the lighting is going to be tricky. <laughs> um, you know, uh, to like be able to manipulate maybe lighting behind the camera or maybe lighting that you see in the image itself. Uh, just just more control over the lighting, I think would be awesome. I think a lot of people would like to have more control over shadows, lighting, illumination, that kind of thing. And the model would be really insane if it could just interpret and hopefully physically uh, render it correctly. Uh, and, you know, you could see your changes and stuff in real time. Okay. Now, we also have advanced kinds of editing tools. So over here, you'll see a series of buttons. Uh, so this is what I call the Fix AI Weirdness button. The idea here is you click it, it's basically a brush. And so we can just sort of go over it. So like this Google sticker here, that's a little bit weird, right? Uh, you should be able to brush over it and the engine sort of analyzes it and instantly fixes whatever's weird about it. Uh, and so if the engine makes a mistake, uh, you know, you should be able to specify the region and maybe there's another engine or there's some some adversarial thing or something like that. Or maybe it's, you know, trained on a lot of user data, whatever. Uh, it should fix it. Like, I think even this lighting in the back is a little bit weird. Like, why is it floating where the window is? Right. I should be able to correct these kinds of things uh, with with the fix AI weirdness button. Uh, this is the grid button. So. You know, the engine should support, you know, isometric, 2D, perspective, more kinds of grids. Uh, objects in the scene can be moved along the grid. Uh, this is character control. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but it would be like advanced body, facial, emotional control over characters in a scene. This is the time of day. So you could instantly change. You want something in the morning, evening, nighttime. Uh, this is weather. You could be able to adjust the weather. And this is what I call markup mode. Uh, this is for editing. So uh, this is like an interesting idea. Basically, 
imagine just being able to like draw on the canvas and sort of draw an arrow. This is fix this, put a note here, make the walls white, add some formulas on the wall written with a marker, uh, maybe, you know, cross off the sticker, regenerate the sticker of the Google logo, and you can just specify regions. And so the idea here is this is almost like a markup prompt, right? Like the idea here is like, I'm given all these instructions in one batch and the model should be able to interpret and understand all these different directions and pointers and things I'm asking for and be able to in one, in one batch regenerate the image with all of these changes in mind. And obviously like this is like not that different from how you might edit somebody else's image or work. You, you know, you make these high level notes, give it back to them. They go off and implement and fix them. And then you take a look at the next version. And so this would be, you know, I think really helpful. Again, I'd be surprised if text is just the only way we interact with models of the future. Uh, you should be able to interact with them in these kinds of markup like ways as well. Okay, so this is another feature I'm, I'm really excited about. So uh, this is like, this is all about generating variations. So I think I'm, I'm really excited about variations today. Like when I use Dolly, I think it's a very interesting idea. It accelerates creativity. I think, I think it's very exciting, but I also think a lot more is possible here. And so today I'm sharing two different tabs. So inside this variations window, I'm sharing two different tabs. So the one on the right is visual variations. So I think this is what we have now, right? So the model generates variations visually based on the image. Like, you know, it might have one that looks like a teapot, then it's like a slightly visually different teapot. And like, it's just sort of messing with text and pixels and trying to find some variations within that. However, I think what most people want, what I definitely want I want variations that make logical sense. So it's what I'm calling logical variations. So uh, these are more very intentional variations that make sense for the image, make sense for you know what I'm trying to do in the project um, that maybe a coworker or a friend might recommend different angles to it. And so it's, it's a more, think of it as a more intentional kind of variation. So on the left, you will see the original image. So it is a, a table lamp in the style of Starry Night by Van Gogh, product photo. That was a prompt. It generated this here. Now, for the first variation, it's suggesting how about the same lamp, but with a wider shade, right? So it's giving some artistic suggestions, some artistic variation here. Uh, the, beside it, however, it takes it to you know a, a crazier level. So it's like lamp in the shape of a star. So it knows this is supposed to be a starry night lamp. Why not make the lamp shaped like a star? And that's what it would look like. Why not have a glow in the dark lamp, <laughs> right? I don't know even know if that's possible, but it's an interesting idea, right? Obviously lamps already have lights in them, but what about a glow in the dark version? What would that look like? And then there's another one with a lamp where it's starry night and it's combined with the Beatles. So it's helping you also generate some variations, explore, you know, what, what's a cool recombinant to combine this with. And so uh, I'm really excited about logical variations. And again, this goes back to the same idea of just multimodal understanding, knowledge network-like recommendations. These are intelligent recommendations. They are creative, they are artistic, and they're very intentional. They make sense based on what I want and what I'm trying to do. It's not just like visually different from 
from like, it's not just like the variations we have today, which are just visually different, just, you know, moving around pixels and hoping that looks like something different. Uh, uh, the logical variations of multimodal engine can suggest more intentional variations based on its knowledge network with variations that have specific changes or alternative approaches to them. The model immediately narrows down to a few focused relevant variations based on key differences. Uh, okay, now we're going to be getting into collaboration. So uh, I would expect a tool of the future to have built in collaboration support. So imagine something like a Google Doc, right? Like I can invite people, we can see each other's changes and prompts and stuff. I apologize, prompts and stuff in real time. Um, and uh, even if we make edits to the image, we should be able to see it and it's all rendered in real time. Uh, and so you can collaborate with friends, you can collaborate with coworkers in real time. Uh, now, this is a feature I call recombinant collaborators. I think it's pretty fun. Uh, so notice here, there's me, there's one of my friends, and then there's also Pablo Picasso. Uh, this is not just funny copy I put in the image. This is a real feature. Uh, I think it'd be very crazy uh, if you could add artists that are modern, maybe in the past, uh, as collaborators in your document uh, for, for your image, for your project. And so as you're maybe editing prompts, as you're making changes, as you're you know working on it, it subtly adds the influence of Pablo Picasso, for example, in your work. So you can collaborate with people um, that may not even be alive anymore. Uh, and sort of it'll add like their touch, their signature, their unique angle. If they were involved in, 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 this, in this project, what details and nuances and tiny, tiny kinds of details and touches would they add if they were also collaborating with you? Um, this goes back to the multimodal engines understanding of artists, art history, uh, pop culture, uh, it's understanding of, you know, uh, different people's work at a superhuman level. Um, and I, I honestly just, just think this, this idea is, is really, really fun. And, uh, you can also obviously configure and set, I don't know if you noticed that earlier and the configure recombinants, uh, screen, we could specify how much of Pablo's influence we want on our work. <coughs> Excuse me. So drink a little bit more water. So uh, built-in music player. So again, this is where <laughs> the series continues to go off the rails. Um, so the idea here, so uh, I think most users of Dolly or Midjourney, even artists in real life, they typically do have music going on in the background. They may switch over to the Spotify tab. They may be adjusting or changing their song on their phone. They may have music on in the background. However, I just, I, I think a lot of artists, uh, you know, I think there is some correlation between making an image and just having music to set the vibe or whatever going on in the background. And so on one hand, this just makes product sense. Like rather than have users switch over to another tab to change their song on Spotify, uh, why not have Spotify or some kind of music web player built in to something like Dolly? Uh, and so then as you're creating, as you're entering prompts, whatever, as it's understanding the vibe and angle you're going for, uh, maybe the engine could recommend relevant songs to you based on the vibe or whatever that you're going for uh, that, that you might like, that relate to it, maybe emotionally get you get you there to, to what you're trying to create. Uh, and then uh, sometimes maybe the model might even generate a song, <laughs> right? 
based on based on the image that you just created to help you further get into the mood or maybe you can export that whatever uh, and then if you notice here this is actually a sampling button so the idea here is um, if there's a part of a song that you like imagine just being able to select it from the timeline and basically sample it and drag that into your image canvas and this would almost be like a, a music prompt right so you could drag in part of a, a sample of a song drag it into your canvas and the canvas would update based on the song that it just received it understands the song understands the essence of it and adds that in uh to to the actual image itself uh and then there's also a little piano button here so the idea here is that you know you can basically uh uh play 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 the piano sing or whatever and also import musically as well into into your image and update the image based on what you just sang uh i especially think even for chords imagine just playing a few chords and then dragging those chords into the image and having the model interpret and uh, understand emotionally thematically what that feels like and putting that into the image uh uh, this is another feature called creative hyperparameters. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but these are basically overall constraints, overall controls that you can set within the project. Do you want it esoteric or very universal? Do you want it to feel familiar or novel? Is it conceptual? Is it abstract? Right. Uh, various hyperparameter overall controls uh, that, again, allow you to generate new things or make things that feel unique or you know, really get at the the angle that you're going for. So what are the different text capabilities uh, that, that we could accept, expect from a tool of the future? So uh, I'm going to be outlining two. The first one is called Magic Text. Uh, this is this button you see right here. It's the, the text icon with a magic wand on top of it. <coughs> and so the idea here is, uh, you know, say we have this canvas. I would click the magic text icon, create my text box, and inside of it, type in the word freedom, basically. And then as soon as I click out of that text box, uh, the canvas instantly updates, and the multimodal engine has already perhaps chosen a, ch chosen a font or a font color or a font style automatically for me, so I don't even need to do that anymore, or it's generated a custom font for me based on the image itself. Uh, and so over here, you can see freedom. Like this is a font that didn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's perfectly integrated to the image. It makes, you know, thematic, emotional, whatever sense the way it is. Uh, and this is something the engine made for me. Uh, and so I'm really excited about magic text. And like, I can sort of imagine the future. You won't need to spend as much time choosing fonts and adjusting their sizes and colors and styles and all that stuff like ideally the engine should figure out all of those details for you or make something custom that works even better and then you don't even need to worry about font licensing uh the other feature below so this is a, i don't have a name for it like i think it's like a magic text fill uh this is even simpler than magic text to be honest so uh the idea here is uh we have this image right on the left we would just draw the outline of the box, <laughs> basically. And the model would automatically generate the text or the copy as well. <laughs> and then it would also 
you know, uh, either pick a font or generate a new one for us. So it's even less work than magic text. And the idea here is, you know, if, if it's a multimodal model, like it should have, you know, incredible, you know, language model capabilities, it should be able to generate the copy for us in the document. So we don't, we don't need to like look it up elsewhere. We don't need to write it in advance as we're going along. We, we can just have perfect copy. And the example that I visualize in my head is like, imagine you're, you're working on a menu for like a pizza restaurant or something inside of this program. You should be able using magic text fill, just create the section and it would fill in all the different, you know, maybe pizza menu items and with, with like quirky names, right? There, there's different puns on the different names and you know, it's like styled perfectly and you know, it's like the perfect font that integrates perfectly with your image itself. Uh, I think we're going to spend a lot less time in the future tweaking our fonts like we do now. A lot of the stuff like colors and fonts and stuff, uh, these are things that I think we spend a lot of time adjusting now and tweaking now that hopefully we'll have to adjust a lot less using using these, these multimodal AI engines. Um... <coughs> uh, yeah, so this is a feature I call latent variation scrubbing. Um, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't quite know if this is the right UI for it. Um, I think the UI still needs work, but I'm still gonna try to articulate it and talk about it here. So what it allows you to do basically is scrub through uh, the different dimensions of variations that are possible in the latent space. So. I, I, I'm not sure if that made sense <laughs> to a lot of you, but essentially the engine should be smart enough that taken being given something like Starry Night, uh, maybe it can identify the specific dimensions that you would want to tweak Starry Night. So in this case, uh, the engine has identified that maybe we want to adjust either the number of stars in Starry Night or the thickness of the brush, brush strokes. And so using the slider, if we want more thicker brush strokes, we should be able to drag the slide slider upwards and the engine shows us the variations that are possible with thicker brush strokes. Maybe we want thicker and fewer stars so we can you know, drag the slider in the fewer stars direction as well. And so the idea here is basically there are you know, an infinite number of variations that are possible. Latent variation scrubbing will allow us to sort of on specific dimensions, narrow down the variations into a specific one that we want and find the perfect tweaked image based on what's in our head and what we actually want. And so I wrote here, uh, uh, multimodal engine automatic automatically identifies important dimensions relevant to the piece itself to explore through variation scrubbing, makes it easier for the user to find the right one. Uh, and so, yeah, we're approaching the end here, uh, which is uh, hard to believe, but here we are. So uh, explore alternatives. So imagine, you know, we, we had our concept, we generated, you know, we explored different things, we edited it, we got it just right. Then, you know, we turned it into all of these different, you know, it could be a billboard, could be, it could be a new product idea, it could be like, um, you know, a poster, whatever. Uh, the idea here is even once you're done, <laughs> with generating stuff in, in, in a program like the multimodal photo editor, uh, it should suggest, you know, different, different ideas, different directions, different alternative ways to explore, even though the project is done. <laughs> so in this case, it's suggesting a lamp for Starry Night. Maybe, maybe we hadn't thought about that. 
it's suggesting a starry night camping tent. Wouldn't that be fun? You're already out camping and your camp is designed like starry night at nighttime. It's perfect. Uh, and then over here, you know, maybe it generated a time-lapse sequence of starry night. And so we would click this play button and it already has a video for us ready to go uh, of a time-lapse of a starry night. So it, it turned our, our starry night concept into uh, a time-lapse video for us. And so this is actually a step that shows up once everything is done. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I sort of think of it like, uh, <coughs> you know, like almost like an upsell or, you know, something more like, um, uh, you know, you, congratulations, you, you know, you made this t-shirt design, it's out in the market on your store, but have you also considered, you know, having that t-shirt or having that design on a tote bag, not just a t-shirt. So this is just an, an alternative. It suggests alternatives even when you're done and maybe you want to go deeper in this direction and explore the alternatives as well. Uh, each alternative is intentional, a logical next step and meant to add to the user's existing creative direction. Uh, so, you know, this is the whole section on productivity and commercialization. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have time to cover this here, but, uh, you know, uh, commercialization, so it should have some idea of, you know, what are the different ways, whether it's, you know, web design, industrial product design, uh, filmmaking, whatever, the different industries and stuff. Uh, to commercialize it and all those different considerations, you know, it should make a lot of that a lot easier. Uh, the model should be personalizing your art, you know, based on stuff you like and your history and stuff. Uh, maybe you could get hired and build a portfolio through the multimodal photo editor. Like it has a different community feature. You can work with different artists, maybe borrow their, borrow them as a recombinant and hire them that way. Uh, one area that I'm different and I, I'm, I'm probably thinking differently from other people in this space. I think artists would love analytics. Now I know that's pretty crazy, right? They don't strike you as people, uh, who would be into analytics and stuff to see how they're using their program and how they're performing. However, I think a lot of them are, you know, pretty ambitious and they do want to get better and they do see it as a craft. And so a program which can summarize your analytics and your performance and how it's compared to in the past. How many images are you generating? How many new things have you explored? How many things have you shared, published, sold, you know, got brought to market? That'd be really exciting. Um, and then focus mode and analytics is, is another idea as well uh, that I'm thinking about. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have too much time to cover this. This was all screenshots from part one of the series, but... Uh, this is basically, you know, different kinds of uh, feedback windows that you could have for your image. And it would basically, uh, each one of these is like, you know, it automatically gives you feedback on your composition of the image. It automatically gives you feedback on the originality, uh, you know, maybe ethics and safety considerations, maybe pop cultural stuff. How might the pop culture, how might the zeitgeist interpret this image? A lot of different options with feedback and stuff. I don't think this area has really been explored yet but uh I, I definitely think it's it's possible and exciting if, if we had engines that sort of uh are, are constantly available to give us feedback and improve our images uh imagine you know being able to configure the physics and stuff uh configure the environment maybe create a mood board <laughs> set some context and reality those kinds of details configure a design system maybe there's some historical timeline behind your art and your painting um I think we'll skip over this stuff. Toggle composition, emotional thematic targets, community. 
Uh, okay, now we're getting into advanced multimodal capabilities. So creative process summary document. Summary of all prompts, edits, and changes made from the beginning to the end to the completed work. Also shows branches from variations and other decisions made along the way. Includes analytical summary, like time spent on the entire project and collaboration statistics as well. Document can be exported, billed hourly to a client or shared publicly. So the creative process summary document is, is just outlining in a very crisp, well-formatted way all of the different things that went into making this image and concept. All the different decisions the, the program should be able to articulate and walk through that history perfectly. And maybe even include like, you know, this this image took three days, right? And so you can share that publicly. You can share your process. Different people can use it as a tutorial. Or maybe you could even send this directly to a client. Um, multimodal white space exploration. This is an idea I'm really excited about. So uh, basically, you can once, you know, if you have an image going, you can see how that image fits into a larger taxonomy of art and design history and pop culture along these very high level dimensions. So imagine the engine could just on a map put all of creativity, all of art and design history, whatever it is, you know, brutalism or whatever. And basically the multimodal white space exploration tool would allow you to sort of see these things on a map and sort of see how your work fits in. And also ideally, discover new areas on the map, new combinations of things we haven't thought of before. So it's essentially a uh, a UI on the entire creative space that allows you to explore it. And the model has distilled all of, you know, human creativity and art to, you know, all of these, you know, specific categories and helps you see where, where your stuff fits in. Uh, international language support, you know, I, I apologize. This this should probably be <laughs> much higher, and maybe you could include this in the in the engine. How I mentioned the engine should have a lot of you know cultural understanding, but you know, hopefully this should work across all languages. Uh, you know, offer that same level of cohesiveness and multimodal understanding like it offers in English. Uh, recombinant reference document. So this is something I added recently. Uh, it's essentially a document which summarizes the various artistic and creative recombinant references, the various creative recombinants that you used to complete this image. And the idea here is I think it'd be, it'd be really cool if you could give homage and give sort of honor the artists that, you know, you sort of put into your work um, and sort of, you know, sort of give them that head nod, sort of acknowledge, you know, their style, their work, you know, was a part of this process. And so the recombinant reference document would list all the different artists, the level of influence maybe they had on the image and just formally acknowledge them as a part of this work. Now, obviously like I, you know, I, I think there's, you know, different people might have different opinions on this. Some people want to keep their prompts uh, super secret, super on the DL, I understand it, but there's no reason why the program or engine and tool itself can't automatically generate something like this for you. And so if you want to share it publicly, if you want to include a link where people can browse the different artists and, and stuff, the different rec artistic recombinants, uh, they can do so. Uh, mood board to image. So generate an image based on a mood, more, mood board or vice versa. Uh, to my understanding, like, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it would be cool to, to share mood boards with different people um, and specify those. I, I think mood boards are still valuable um, and can help us generate totally new things. Uh, I'd love to see more support for mood boards. Uh, advanced mood board vibe search engine, uh, 
we're uh you know i think i think we could skip that uh gift generation i think it'd be cool if this this was possible um i think this is sort of you know like a bridge maybe towards video uh a lot of people already are using various tools like dolly like stable diffusion to to generate uh try to generate some animations and stuff and it'd be cool if to start with these engines had some built-in kind of gift generation animation stuff different frames that could be combined uh just to just to sort of get the ball rolling uh offline capabilities so generate art based on personal data i think this is a really unique thing i'm not sure how many people want this i would love this uh help the user achieve full artistic expression and self-actualization by allowing them to connect their various data feeds such as social media, private chats, fitness tracker data, GPS, web browsing history, personal media libraries, including your ebook reader, uh, Netflix, Pinterest, Spotify, Adobe Creative Cloud. Uh, with this privacy respecting user controlled format to data collection, the program has more context into the user's life and can help them generate personalized art based on their mood, events in their life, personal context, unique art style, and so much more. And so, uh, the idea here is imagine your artistic tool knew everything about you. Uh, it, you know, it is tracking all these things and gives you control, obviously, over the privacy of them. And based on that, it's just up to date on your life. Like it understands you. And also, just like your YouTube feed knows you really well, just like your TikTok feed knows you really well, the multimodal engine can also understand you really, really well in ways that maybe can't even be articulated. And this is possible if, if you connected all your data and that way too, you know, if it knows you went to the zoo yesterday and you're just making something quick today uh, about your life, it might have, you know, some tiny indicators, tiny knots uh, related to the zoo. And again, I think so much of art is uniquely telling your story, uniquely sharing your identity. And I, I just think sharing your data could allow a multimodal engine to help you tell that story in a really specific idiosyncratic way. Uh, social media participation recommendations, uh, generate and recommend art automatically based on social media topics, trending hashtags and social causes the user's passionate about. So uh, imagine some some big thing happens in, 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 in the real world and it's all over social media uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe some, you know, police brutality or something of that sort. Imagine the tool could automatically generate art for you, uh, based on, uh, that event. And then, and also based on your style and immediately you could just have that art. You're like, you approve it and it posts it to your social media. And I'm really excited about this idea because, you know, you know, art has always, change people's perspectives it has always grown their perspectives uh art has changed the world and so imagine you know a multimodal engine could actually suggest art to you uh that you could easily post to social media and you could make history or change the world or emotionally articulate uh the struggle that somebody else is going to struggle you're going through or you know change perspectives and you know improve society uh, imagine one image, you know, could change the world. And so I'm, I'm really excited about, about this, this idea as well. Uh, these are all offline capabilities. Like these are all like things the model is doing for you, even when you're not intentionally sitting <laughs> at it. Right. Uh, automatic meme generation. <laughs> I think we can skip that part. 
uh, overnight prompt and art style discovery. So this is actually something I've already seen. Uh, shout out to Michael Carichow. He he made, uh, I, I believe, something like this with Stable Diffusion where, you know, you just enter a prompt and then overnight it's like doing all the number crunching and you sort of wake up and it's got different images from you for you to choose from. So this is that same idea. Uh, shout out to Michael for implementing it and creating it. So run a prompt overnight inside of the program and wake up with personalized curated results to review, you know, I, I would love the model to just be doing work for me when I'm not there and help me, uh, you know, go deep, <laughs> explore that whole direction and come back, uh, with specific things. It'll know, it knows I'll like, uh, Distraction detection. The program automatically recommends further changes, alternative approaches, or suggests program prompts if it detects the user has hit a creative roadblock. Uh, this is based on previous analytics and usage data. So the idea of distraction detection is, you know, we already know things like GPT-3 can help us pull us out of some kind of uh, creative roadblock, right? You're cornered. You don't know what to do next. You don't know what angle. So imagine the program can just detect that automatically uh, based on who you are, your typical, you know, work patterns and make suggestions, suggest prompts, you know, sort of pull you back in knowing you're cornered at the moment and kind of in a rut. And so uh, distraction detection is all about that integration between the artist and the tool and, you know, getting them to a higher level of performance. Uh, chat with the multimodal image editor so the user can chat directly with the multimodal image editor like a close friend from their phone. So you could text Dolly. <laughs> you could text Midjourney. Uh, based on the conversation, it can automatically generate, generate personalized artwork for the user and post it to their social media directly. So here we have, you know, maybe I, I sent uh, something like Midjourney, uh, this, this image of a car crash I just got in. And then I texted and I wrote, you know, I had a really rough day today. I got in a car accident. Physically, I'm okay, but just a little bit shook. Feeling like things are really stacked against me. And so the engine responds. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. You've had a rough week at work as well. Let me see what I can do. And then later it responds, do you want me to post this one on your Twitter? And here we have some custom art ready to go. Uh, a girl, she looks overwhelmed. There's a stack of books and there's a car behind sort of all the different emotions and, and things that were shared in this one message. Imagine the engine could automatically generate that art for you based on how you like it and make it that much easier for you to post it on Twitter. Um, this is again, improving the experience for the user, uh, thinking outside of the program itself and incorporating uh, art better into their lives, bringing the art to them, basically. That's how you wanna think about this. Uh, multimodal image editor everywhere inside your phone keyboard. So this is like this idea, like instead of you have emojis, you have GIFs. <laughs> I, I, I think it's just a matter of time that, you know, you'll be able to click a button and generate, uh, images as well using some kind of multimodal image or image model or whatever, and be able to put that into chat, WhatsApp, social media, whatever. Uh, in painting and markup in augmented reality. <laughs> so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but... This is that idea, like imagine you're holding your phone and you just like, like uh, in paint over, you know, like an empty living room and then you just put in couch and just while you're holding your phone through your camera, it's sort of in augmented reality shows you what that couch could look like. Uh, and so this is again, bringing, bringing multimodality outside of the program itself, you know, reimagining 
even the you know the physical world uh, in new and exciting ways. Uh, this is our final final thing, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. Uh, uh, so it's advanced features, advanced workflow support. So this is like think of it like almost like Excel macros, right? So it's kind of like you know you can have all these different processes and workflows that the program supports at a really advanced level, and then you're generating entering prompts, editing images, generating, maybe it's going through procedural routines and you have all these routines and macros and they generate something new for you whenever you feel like, or maybe you got a workflow where it's like your go-to workflow, go-to prompts, and you can just sort of automate them basically uh, on some schedule or whatever you feel like. And it's basically like a advanced view and less work basically. So anyways, uh, wow, what a whirlwind. <laughs> We've gone through 40 pages worth of content. Again, this entire book is available for free in the YouTube description below. You're going to click the link. You're welcome to explore it as well. I would love to hear all of your ideas. You know, please feel free. YouTube comments below. Hit me up on Twitter. Uh, for the OG YouTube uh, audience, uh, you know, this summer, I, you know, I, I already leaked this series <laughs> a few weeks ago and then deleted that video. Uh, and so, you know, some of those ideas are, are also in, in here and I want to thank everybody for their feedback. Uh, you know, this document is a work, work in, work in process. I, you know, I may continue adding to it. I definitely have more ideas. I thought of something at a concert last week, but I forgot it that I also want to include. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really, really excited about part two of this series. Obviously, I'm sure everybody knows the multimodal space with uh, AI art, with recombinant art has really accelerated, I'd say, over the last month or so. So um, I am so excited to see where the space goes, what people build on top of various models, uh, what what people come up with. Uh, but I hopefully this, this book prov has provided some kind of sampling to you about what's possible, maybe help you rethink uh, the space, rethink all these things. Maybe, you know, the ideally with these series, I always like to sort of, if the technology and the state of the art is here, I like to sort of, propose what it what it could be at that next level and so hopefully i've done that here today i've sort of taken our world today and and shown an, another possible reality that is that is more ambitious more aggressive and and more aligned with with the needs of actual users um i also wanted to apologize like i wanted to make an even greater version of the series like i wanted audio emotional appeals talk about my journey crazy music and art like the last series was like 19 videos, right? I wanted this one to be probably four, four videos. Um, however, uh, because of all the different things going on in the space, things are moving so fast because of my own time and budget concerns, as well as I think, you know, the end of this year is going to keep me pretty busy. So I, I thought, you know what, it'd be actually pretty exciting to have this kind of intimate discussion with you all on the podcast. Um, and just like, you know, spend this evening and just share this with you. Uh, and so anyways, that is all I have to say. Uh, GPTX Diffusion and our multimodal, excuse me, GPTX Diffusion and our multimodal future part two, the multimodal photo editor, you have completed it. Thank you so much for, for tuning in. And if you've made it this far, I want to congratulate you. Uh, and like I said, please feel free, include some feedback, include some comments. If you got some own wireframe ideas, uh, different different ideas and concepts you have. I'd love to check them out. And of course, I'm, I'm very excited to see where all of this stuff goes. I'd love to see these kinds of ideas implemented uh, in, you know, in real GitHub uh, repositories and real products. Uh, I, I'm really excited to hear what you all have to say. 
Anyways, thank you so much once again for tuning in. And of course, I'll catch you in the next one. Bye.